Our scripture reading is 1 Samuel chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem for his, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed to David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go away in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of his enemies, every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside, behind, beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, 
go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on the side of you, take them. Then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat his food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Jerusalem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commended me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me go away and see my brothers. For this reason he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I know not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, 
And Jonathan went into the city. The word of the Lord. Dear Lord, make us eager to hear and to do your will, giving Pastor Michael the words we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brian, for reading that long passage for us. Uh, Good morning. Christ Church. My name is Michael Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here, and this morning we're going to continue our sermon series, Longing for a King. Last week, Pastor Andrew preached on the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel 17, and today we're picking up that story in chapters 18 through 20. Now, there's a lot in these three chapters that we're not going to cover, so I would encourage you to go and read them on your own during the week, but we are going to focus on the covenant friendship between Jonathan and David. The covenant friendship of David and Jonathan. As we've said, this story of David recorded in the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel is the longest, most intimate portrayal of an individual figure in the ancient world. And today, we get a glimpse into one of the most beautiful aspects of David's life, his friendship with Jonathan. Deep intimate friendship is something we've largely lost as a culture. In fact, some have taken the deep, intimate, soul-level affection between Jonathan and David to mean that there must be, uh, there must have been some romantic dimension to their relationship. But that really says something more about us, that we struggle to see the value the need for deep, intimate friendship. And this is a struggle in the church as well. We talk a lot about marriage, and rightfully so. It's a good gift from God. But intimacy is not exclusive to marriage. Depth of relationship is not exclusive to marriage. You are not experiencing a lesser life of inescapable loneliness if you're called to singleness, whether for a stretch or for a lifetime. We all need friendships. Listen to what author J.C. Ryle says about friendship. This world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. Don't we all long for that? A friend who simply by being in our lives will cut our troubles in half and double our joys? That longing is because the triune God created us with an an innate desire for deep, meaningful relationships because we were created in His image. Now, there's a lot that can be said about friendship from Scripture, but today we're going to focus in on David and Jonathan. And as we explore the relationship between David and Jonathan, we'll see that covenant friendship is a bond of love for the good of the other, at your own expense, because of Christ. To put it another way, we'll look at the commitment, the components, the cost, and the catalyst of covenant friendship. 
So first, the commitment. Oh, and you may want to follow along. You can follow along in the bulletin, but we'll be reading Scripture from all over these passages, so if you have a Bible, it might help to have that out as well to follow along. So first, the commitment. Covenant friendship is a bond of love. We see the marks of loyalty and affection all over their relationship. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 3 that we read earlier in the service. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. We see that their souls were knit together, that they loved each other as their own soul, that they made a covenant together. This is the language of loyalty and affection. Loyalty and affection fuel each other. The deeper you go with someone, especially when walking through hard times, the more you'll grow to cherish them. We see it again in chapter 20, verse 17, which says, And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. This bond of love continues all throughout their friendship until the time at the end of chapter 20 when they're forced to go their separate ways. Chapter 20, verse 41 says, And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Does that level of intimacy between friends make you uncomfortable? Sure, we might have different cultural norms now, but God created us for depth and intimacy, not just in marriage relationships, but in friendships. Later on in 2 Samuel chapter 1, we get to hear David reflect when he hears the news that Jonathan has died in battle. Listen to what David writes about his friend. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. They had a relationship marked by loyalty and affection. They both had wives. They both had marriages that were good. Their marriages were not threatened by the strength of their friendship. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, my wife Jen and I, at the time we were dating for a while long distance and then in the same city. We didn't get married until right before my final semester. So I spent most of my time in seminary living on campus. And the people who lived on campus were either singles or married families with children. And because of my stage of life, most of my best friends were married families with children, even though I was a single unmarried guy. And what I loved most is that they didn't let the fact that I wasn't married, that I didn't have children, stop them from inviting me into the richness 
of their lives. My friends invited me into their home. They let me hang out with their kids. They let me build bonds of love with them. You see, in the body of Christ, friendship can go deeper than sharing the same age and stage of life. God calls us to deep, intimate, robust friendships. We'll talk later about the fuel for that, but uh, we've, seen, we've seen the commitment between David and Jonathan and their friendship. Now let's look at the components, the components of their friendship. What did it look like for them to be friends? Covenant friendship is for the good of the other. Because of their loyal bond, we see Jonathan actively caring for David in a variety of ways right when he needed it. And David really needed a friend. I mean, some of you may have experienced conflicts between your family and your friends, but I'm fairly confident that most of you haven't had your dad tell you that he's deploying hitmen to actively seek to kill your best friend. Uh, So in the midst of Saul's jealousy-fueled rampage, Jonathan steps in the middle and provides counsel to David. He provides counsel. Look at chapter 19, verses 1 through 2 that we read earlier. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. Jonathan wasn't paralyzed by the moment. No, he went to David and he wisely warned him about the danger that was coming his way. This calm in the midst of crisis, this ability to tell the hard truth is exactly what David needed. And he doesn't let his relationship with his father let him get in the way of loving his friend. Covenant friendship provides counsel. But it doesn't stop there. You see, Jonathan not only counsels David, but he advocates for him as well. He advocates for him. Look at the next few few verses. Chapter 19, starting in verse 3, says, And I will go, this is Jonathan speaking, I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. Jonathan is willing to go to bat for David, to defend his good name to his father, even if it might cost him. Continuing in verse 4, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, said to him, Let not the king sin against your servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have, been, have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hands, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause. Jonathan sticks his own neck on the line to defend his covenant friend. 
Jonathan not only speaks the truth to David in counsel, but he speaks the truth about David by advocating for him. David faithfully followed the call of the Lord that brought about the salvation of God's people. He doesn't deserve to die. And we see in verse 6 that it works. Saul listens, at least for a little bit, but unfortunately, Saul uh, changes his mind and we see that his unstable jealousy will continue to rear its ugly head. In chapter 20, verse 32, Jonathan continues to defend David and advocate for him at the expense of his relationship with his father. Jonathan is a covenant friend to David by speaking the truth to him when he needs it, speaking the truth about him to those who are against him, and also by patiently reassuring him of the truth. Covenant friendship offers reassurance. David comes to Jonathan in the beginning of chapter 20, after he just escaped for his life. It's this interesting scene where David's wife devises a Ferris Bueller-type scheme where she puts an idol in a bed, and she puts a wig of goat's hair on its head, and she tells people that David is sick in the bed so that he can escape for his life. Really, you should go back and read chapters 18 through 20. But David has just escaped for his life through that, and he comes to Jonathan with frantic doubts in need of steady reassurance of a covenant friend. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Listen to how Jonathan responds with reassuring words in verse 2. He says to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. Jonathan basically tells David, It's going to be okay. I'm with you. But David isn't convinced. Verse 3, David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is a step between me and death. Fear is a strong emotion. Sometimes our emotions need more than logic. They need the patient presence of a reassuring friend. And that's what Jonathan says, whatever you need, I'm here for you and in this with you. We should also know that David is showcasing an element of friendship here, vulnerability. David shares his heart, his soul, his fears, his doubts with Jonathan. A covenant friend lets you into the most intimate and vulnerable places of their life because they trust you through the bond of love that you've established. So David and Jonathan go on to devise this plan uh, for how David will escape being at uh, Saul's table and how Jonathan's going to cover for him. And again, David needs reassuring. In chapter 20, verse 8, it says this, 
Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And again, Jonathan meets his doubting friend's anxious fretting with a word of relief. If I find out, if I find out anything, I'll tell you. But this isn't just self-confidence. Jonathan isn't promising David something that he doesn't know if it's going to happen or not. Jonathan reassures David by pointing beyond himself to the promises and character of God. In the next six verses, the Lord is mentioned six times. The Lord is witness. The Lord be against me if I don't tell you. The Lord be with me as he was with my father. The Lord show me, or, uh, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. Their covenant friendship is sealed over and over by reassurances of the Lord's promises. Jonathan can confidently assure David that he'll survive Because the Lord has anointed him king, and the Lord keeps his promises. As Christians, we need covenant friends who will speak the truth of the gospel to us when life seems bleak and fear creeps in. That's exactly the point that German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes in his book on Christian community, Life Together. He says that when the voices of doubt sound loud in our own head, we need the voice of a friend to remind us of the gospel in a voice louder than the voice in our head. He also argues that the thing that is essential to Christian community is that Christ is at the center, that He is the one thing that friends have the most in common, because that's the only kind of friendship that will truly endure. We see this enduring covenant friendship between Jonathan and David centered on the Lord when a few chapters later, Jonathan comes to David in the midst of battle and he says, It says that he strengthened David's hand in God. And Jonathan says this, again, reassuring his friend, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. David Jonathan continually reassures David in the midst of his doubts and fears. And and then Jonathan protects David. They come up with this elaborate plan and scheme with arrows and stone heaps and, and secret codes, all so that Jonathan can protect his friend David whom the Lord has anointed king. And Jonathan did it all at his own expense. That's our third point, that that covenant friendship, the cost of covenant friendship is at your own expense. 
in order to truly understand this friendship between David and Jonathan, we have to remember that Jonathan was poised to be king. By every earthly standard, because he was the son of King Saul, he was next in line for the throne. David's death should have been Jonathan's gain. And yet, he loved David, and he took comfort in the Lord's wisdom to make David king and not him. What did it cost Jonathan to love David? It cost him his robe. In chapter 18, verse 4, we see that Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. Jonathan is willingly giving David all the vestiges of kingship that were rightfully his. Jonathan risked his future, his fame, his fortune, all to pursue a friendship with David. Covenant friendship comes at your own expense. But it wasn't just the future signified by his robe, his friendship with David cost Jonathan his relationship with his father. When when Jonathan continues to cover for David, Saul becomes furious. We saw that earlier. Saul tells Jonathan that he is a fool. What he is doing is costing him the kingship. But Jonathan knows that. That's the whole point. He's loving David at his own expense. And then it even costs Jonathan the wrath of his father because Saul, in anger, takes a javelin and tries to spear his son. Jonathan has lost, has given up his robe, his relationship, incurring the wrath of his father, all to honor his friendship with David. And Jonathan won't even see the fruit of this friendship in his lifetime. The one thing that Jonathan asks of David, we find the end of chapter 20 in verse 42, says, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. So far, other than it saying that David loved Jonathan, this looks like a pretty one-sided relationship. David is the one who's going to be king, and Jonathan is the one who's giving up everything to love David. But we see that David also keeps his end of the covenant. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David keeps his end of the covenant by showing extraordinary kindness to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. This son that had a disability, he was crippled in his feet. And David took him in and treated him like his own son and gave him a place at the king's table. Jonathan's covenant with David came at a great cost. But in God's economy... It was well worth it. So where does that leave us? 
just with a heartwarming story about best friends that we all wish we had and we realize that we can never be. We need something truer, something deeper. Our covenant friendships need a catalyst. That's our final point. Our covenant friendships need a catalyst. They exist because of Christ. When we read these stories in the book of Samuel, it's often the case that David is the figure that points to Christ. And there is a sense in which David is the Christ figure in this section, but look at how Jonathan points us to Jesus. You see, Jesus not only calls us servants, but he calls us friends. Our rebellion against God through sin made us his enemies, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sacrificed his relationship of love with the Father and experienced his wrath on the cross in our place. At his own expense, Jesus gave us his righteous robe so that we might be called sons and daughters of the King. He protects us from all of our enemies, most importantly, Satan, sin, and death, so that none of them can have the final word. Jesus patiently reassures us of the promises of God as our great high priest. He's interceding on our behalf, and he deals gently with us. As it says, a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not snuff out. Jesus advocates on our behalf, and he ensures that we have a good name before the Father because Jesus gives us his own good name. And his loyal love for us is beyond anything else. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, Jesus doesn't keep us at arm's length, but he invites us in to rich, deep intimacy with him. The king of the universe calls us his friends. Our union with Christ is the fuel for everything else. Jesus befriends us at his own expense, and he calls us to be his friends. He offers friendship beyond anything this world can offer, but there is a cost. You see, Jesus is also the David figure in this passage because he calls us to commit to him in loyal love just as Jonathan committed to David. Yes, it is his strength that enables us to do it, but there is a cost to discipleship. We sang it earlier in our hymn, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, then he cannot be my disciple. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't love our family. We definitely should love our own family. But he's saying that rejecting every other relationship, if it comes to that, is worth covenant friendship with Christ. It's like the parable that Jesus tells about a man who goes and sells everything that he has to buy a field because he knows there's a buried treasure in it. 
Friendship with Jesus is worth everything. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is worth it? Are you willing to give up your pet sins, your worldly aspirations, your self-serving priorities? Jesus is worth it. Just like it was worth it for Jonathan to give up everything to befriend David so that his son might have a seat at the king's table. Jesus is worth it. And yet, Jesus not only calls us to be his friends, he calls us to be friends to each other. He calls us to enter into costly relationships with one another, relationships where we prioritize the good of the other at our own expense, relationships where we're vulnerable with each other, where we're known and loved and can share with each other wise words and gospel reassurance. Jesus calls us to seek to find those friendships and to be those kinds of friends. But remember, Jesus must be the catalyst. It must be because we know Him, because we know that He died to call us friends. It's only then that we can have the power to move toward each other in friendship. Because friendship is hard. It takes work. It takes putting yourself out there. It takes being vulnerable. It takes letting someone else in so that they can call you out. Friendship is risky. But it's the kind of risk that's only possible when you're secure in your most important relationship. A friendship with the God who will never leave you, never forsake you, never let you down, never stop loving you, because He died to bond Himself to you in love forever. This Jesus calls us His friends. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You are a God who loves us at your own expense, who calls us your friends, who calls us to leave everything behind to follow you because you are worth it. Help us to truly believe that. And let us be fueled by your love for us so that we might go out and love one another, not to gain something, but to give something. Let us be people who love each other sacrificially, who care for one another, and glorify you through our covenant friendships. We pray this in Jesus' name, by your Spirit. Amen.